The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us here on this Friday. It's been two weeks since our new president has taken office, and uh, a lot of stuff's going on, a lot of stuff to talk about. We've got a couple of great guests today, but uh, would like to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on politically and how that affects us in the firearms industry. Um, I, I think uh, President Trump has pretty much stayed true to his campaign promises and has really been effective at uh, implementing some of the stuff that he talked about in the campaign. Uh, here to join me today is my co-host, Zev Nadler. Hello, everybody. Good to be here again. And, uh, you know, what's the most exciting thing that's happened in the last two weeks? Uh, I would probably say uh, Trump's uh, returning the uh, law that uh, Obama had put into place with regard to placing people that are on the no-fly list as being unable to own firearms, which was completely arbitrary uh, against the Constitution, against all legal rights. So uh, that was a great reversal. Uh, for our purposes. Well, you know, I think we all agree that terrorists shouldn't be allowed to own guns, but the fact that somebody says we don't want this guy flying on our airline for whatever reason doesn't necessarily make him a terrorist, and it doesn't give him any avenue to appeal that. So that was really the unconstitutional part of that. So I, I agree with you to the extent that, you know, there were a bunch of people on that list that really didn't belong in the category of a person who was a danger to society and shouldn't be owning a firearm. Yeah. And I think even the appeal process was difficult in that, yes, you could appeal it, but then you got to hire a lawyer and it could take six months for you to get your rights back. So in that respect, I thought it was very flawed and I'm glad that our president uh, did what he did. Yeah. Well, I think uh, all of us conservatives are happy that he's uh, at least showing an initiative to try to, to, follow through on his campaign promises. That's something that uh, just has been so few and far between in the last four or five administrations. So uh, that's pretty exciting. So right now I want to introduce you to uh, a guy who um, could have easily have been on our uh, Brains and Badass show. Um, Former Marine um, has a huge impact in the firearms industry with some of the projects that he's worked on, uh, does a tremendous amount of really positive things as related to firearms, and I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Uh, Steve Reichert, um, how you doing, Steve? All is well, guys. Pleasure to be on. Uh, listen to the show numerous times, Good. so uh, glad to get an invite to jump on finally. Well, thanks for joining us. We're really excited to have you on. 
Um, I know that uh, your history and probably with firearms starts before you joined the Marines, but I'm sure that that was an instrumental part on what kind of uh, decided which direction you were going to take once you left the Marines. So tell us about... Started shooting when I was about seven. You know, father taught me uh, in the backyard. We also had a range in our basement. Had a pretty decent sized house, so I, I grew up in and around firearms, and uh, really kind of took off when I turned fifteen. And I, I lived up in the communist state of Massachusetts. So, uh, growing up in the nineties, when you when you turn fifteen, you could get a uh, license to own rifles. I, Got interested in high power rifle shooting at the time. Uh, granted, I don't think five five six is high power, but you know the deal. And uh, kind of learned straight out of the gate, you know, pure form marksmanship, the old school way. And uh, did that for years until I jumped into the Marines, and really haven't stopped since. Well, tell us a little bit about your your Marine service years. First off, personally, I want to thank you for your service. Uh, I appreciate everybody who's willing to stand up and fight for the freedoms that we enjoy, and I want to make sure that you understand that. Oh, no, I'm mean, glad to do it. I wanted to do it since I was a kid, so, I mean, luckily I was afforded the opportunity to do so. I came into the Marines in the late 90s and uh, really didn't do anything cool or special. I mean, you know, never had cool guy status, but uh, pretty much the infantry the entire way through. Um, did a stint with State Department on Marine Embassy Guard duty, um, bounced around to a few shitholes over there, and um, was an interesting job, so to speak. Uh, was in Pakistan on 9-11, got to see everything passing through there in the, the months thereafter. So it was uh, an interesting eight years to the day and then uh late in 04 got hit by an ied uh, so that started the medical retirement process which uh took two years so definitely enjoyed my time in i'm sorry to hear that you uh that you went through that and uh looking at your bio it says you did a stint in russia and it's interesting because we get uh, a phone call almost every show from some guy named vlad who keeps trying to ask Kelly questions, and we think we're actually going to take it next time and let him ask his <laughs> questions, but did you have any uh, interesting uh, epiphanies when you were in Russia about the difference between their society and ours? Uh, you were there no, when I the mean, wall the, came down? And, yeah, I mean, the wall came down in 91, so that was like 10 years prior to me getting out there, but okay. um, I, I enjoyed being out there. I mean, the people out there, I, they're definitely mentally more tough. I mean, uh, you know, if a natural disaster happened out there, they'd pick things up, they'd be digging through the rubble, everybody, and they would get back on track rather quickly, but compared to the U.S., where if something happens, they're waiting for the government to step in and handouts, and uh, so I'd put them, uh, mentally, they're tough people, and then politically, in more recent years, especially under the Obama administration, it seemed seemed as if Russia was turning into the old U.S. and the U.S. was turning into the old Soviet bloc. And thank God Hillary didn't get in; otherwise, we'd be flipped coins completely. Well, I think most of the listeners uh, would have to agree with that statement. I, I can't imagine that there's very many people listening to this show that that had voted for her. So. 
Yeah, we're happy the direction yeah. the country is going, at least in the last two weeks. And, and I'm pretty confident that uh, Trump is going to be the guy to, to make some of the substantial changes that we need uh, to once again take that spot in this world where countries not only look up to us, but they also fear us to the extent that when we say, you know, don't mess around, they listen because the alternative would be not very um, nice. So right. I, I think that's the kind of country that, that Trump sees. I think that that was not the country that our last president envisioned. As a matter of fact, he spent most of his time apologizing for us. And uh, I think to me, as a, as a proud, patriotic American, that was probably the worst thing that I can remember in a, the political arena in a long, long time. Yeah, that and bowing down to other governments, I mean, it just, uh, I don't know, it strategically weakened the U.S. and their, their eyes, and our eyes as well. Figuratively and literally, I can never, ever forget him bowing to the Saudi king. That was a turning point for me. But, Steve, tell us a little bit about uh, how you created uh, one company that, that became kind of a cornerstone for training special ops people, and then how you went on to uh, training uh, that you're doing now. And uh, tell us a little bit yeah, about sure. that. Yeah, sure. So, um, while I was waiting to get retired out of the Marines, I was moonlighting up at Blackwater. Um, mainly on the weekends, you know. It's always good to have extra cash rolling inbound. So um, after doing that for a while, thought it could be done slightly better. Granted, they had an awesome operation, especially overseas. Um, but, you know, working on the inside, you know, and a few things that if if I was king for a day, I would have changed and uh, put together a decent plan, really detailed uh how I would change things and potential revenue streams, et cetera, and found a few guys uh, to pitch across, and one of them was also interested. Uh, he happened to be looking at buying Blackwater at the time anyways. He thought I had a, a decent idea. In uh, 2006, we launched T1G, uh, our Tier 1 group, just just outside of Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And... Uh, Got going immediately. I mean, it took a while to build a reputation, so to speak. Um, but what I wanted to do out of the gate was not the same thing everybody else does, which, you know, just hire guys with the cool guy backgrounds with all the badges and bells and whistles and push up some dirt berms and call yourself a training company. Um, wanted to set ourselves apart, at least out of the gate, with a different level of instructors, so to speak. Um, so we invested a lot of time and money on their actual education. We sent them up to the LaVange Learning Institute in New York for almost three months, um, each guy. So it cost a lot, but after they came back, uh, we had turned knuckle-dragging gun monkeys into educators. So they literally ripped up all the periods of instruction they had written to that date and started reformatting it into the better ways to get information into adults' heads and have them retain it. Um, and anybody that's looking for training, you know, they want to go to a company or an individual to learn skills, not only in the range, but they want to retain them. So uh, investing heavily in the instructor's education paid off dividends. Um, so they spent about three months learning how to become educators, and then 
for the next few months after that, I'd bounce them to other training companies or individuals across the U.S. to just kind of garner what they're doing, right or wrong, uh, if we can implement anything, etc. So it took about a year just to get the staff to the level that I wanted. Um, and during that time frame, we were looking at building a facility in between the Fort Bragg, Campbell's North Carolina area. And uh, it seemed like every time we get 90% of the way, you know, all the naysayers would come out in county meetings and say that we're going to be training Al-Qaeda there. And I mean, just a bunch of nonsense. Um, so in the process of doing that, one of our competitors, um, they got into some trouble overseas. Uh, not legal trouble, just a, a blue-on-blue incident, and their client base dried up overnight. So uh, they put the for sale sign up on the facility. Uh, by that time, we had a decent reputation uh, as far as training goes. Uh, we just didn't have a facility, so we we swooped in overnight and started uh, pushing dirt around and rearranging the facility to allow the instructors to... Uh, do what they needed to do. I mean, I think we dumped six, six to nine million into the facility after we bought it, um, just to allow them to do what they needed to do in a more efficient manner. Well, it's obviously um, it takes a lot of money to be able to provide the facilities, the staff. Uh, what I've been surprised about with my experience with the military. And it's always been from the outside, but we've we've had a close connection with them. McMillan has since uh, oh, you know, 1975 when we started making you know fiberglass stocks for the Marine Corps M40A1 program. So I've been able to see a couple of things. One thing is is that the big army um, they they don't really look outside of themselves for much of anything at all. But when it gets to the special forces, almost every branch with their special forces teams are looking for any chance to improve their ability in any way. So going to an outside um, facility owned by civilians to be trained is not uncommon at all. That that happens a lot. You know, we we had a, a close relationship with the very first SEAL Team 6 guys, and they came out, they bought the rifles from us, they spent time in our shop learning how to take them apart and put them together, how to maintain them, and any time they, they'd been out in the field and they came back with any questions on something, they, they would come to the shop and we would work with them. And that's so totally different than the big army or uh, you know any of the regular forces guys that it's it's pretty cool to know that when we have people that are dedicated to doing, you know, the dirty work and, you know, the special stuff that the Army, Marines, Navy, they all understand that it doesn't matter where they get trained as long as they learn everything they can possibly learn. Yeah, and for the most part, I mean, our clientele, I'd say 99% of it is all SOCOM, and they can... You know, they got discretionary funds. They can spend it where they need to on training. But why they came to us repeatedly for IDIQ contracts was, you know, the quality of training that they got was good, obviously. But the level of skills that the guys that showed up retained was much higher than others. And the ability to do multiple training evolutions on one compound on one trip um, 
it kind of set us apart. I mean, we were there was only one vendor at the time approved by SOCOM to teach the uh, advanced tactical practitioners refresher course. So if you were an 18 Delta Special Forces medic, uh, at the time, every two years, you had to go back through the schoolhouse at Fort Bragg to get recertified. Uh, or you could come to us, and we could do the same thing in a shorter period of time. So um, we had some unique arrows in the quiver. Um, but, you know, to do... To do training evolutions or pre-deployment requirement type things on military bases, it's all doable. Um, it's just a scheduling conflict, you know. In order for a unit to schedule a driving course, if they had one on base, you know, it'd have to be done on one or two days, and they would need uh, long-distance ranges for the long gunners, uh, other type ranges for pistol-type work. I mean, it's a logistical nightmare, Um but when they come to a private company that can do everything under one roof, uh, it's really a time saver for them. Um, time is money, even in the military. So to do what we would normally do with any unit in six weeks would probably be spread out over four to six months back on base. And that doesn't necessarily ensure them that they're going to get bumped off a base due to uh, a unit deploying that has priority. Um so it was unique, and it was uh, a good experience. I mean, like I said, we got started in 06, and some of the mid-level type guys, you know, E5s, O3s over the years, you know, now they're all sergeant majors or master guns, and the young lieutenants back then that were pissing vinegar, now majors or lieutenant colonels, and uh, they haven't forgotten where they got their initial core skill set. So it's nice to see the guys coming back year after year and seeing them progress through different uh, billets within the command so it's uh was interesting and i mean originally we got started you know my goal was just to, hey, if we can provide a better training service and save a life or two you know mission accomplished and i hate it when the liberals say that about banning guns you know if we can just ban all the guns and save one life it'd be great and like screw them but for the military guys you know that was my goal out of the gate and by the time i left in uh 2011 we had about three dozen after-action reports from various individuals and various units saying that the, the training that we had provided, whether it was medical-type training or uh, certain tactics, proved and worked for them, and they're here today because of it. So it was a, a good experience. And Steve, as, as usually is the case, when we get somebody as interesting as you, we start running out of time quick, and we got about five, six minutes left. And I wanted to touch quickly on how you've been able to turn that into a private uh, citizen training type of a deal. And tell us a little bit about your duties out here in Maricopa County. Yeah, so uh, when I left the company, uh, moved my stock, let go of that in 2011, um, started working just as a volunteer status with the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Um, Sheriff Joe swore me in and 2011, so not paid deputy, um, but I volunteer out there a lot, so primarily helping the SWAT division with sourcing gear or equipment um, and providing training when and where I can, you know, bunch of great guys within the division and the, the entire agency itself, but uh, like most, they're kind of cash-strapped, so it, it's hard to get training at those levels. So anytime I can get uh, my former staff instructors down there or uh, 
put them through courses myself out there. I'm, I'm glad to do it because you know people thank the military for all they do for keep protecting us, uh, and they do. They do a great job overseas. But you know the terrorists that are currently walking around the streets of the U.S. Um, granted, they might not have acted yet, but it's the the guys in uniform and the armed civilian populace that are going to be the ones that have to step up at night. So you know, and you, and you know, it's unfortunate because. Skills. We used to only have to worry about the terrorists, and now, as we look at the way the the U.S. has been going in the past two weeks, we're starting to get some what would be called liberal leftists becoming very violent, setting things on fire, uh, ruining property, and and hurting people. And I think that our yeah, law I mean, enforcement is going right. to find a new job in that. Yeah, I mean, I gotta love the liberals for that. You know, do as I say, not as I do type mentality. I mean, I I seriously think they have a disease, but. Not for me to be a judge. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I once heard that uh, if liberals didn't have, um, I forgot. Damn, <laughs> it'll come back. To yeah, you. Think about yeah, it. and I'll probably think about it in my sleep. You know what? Uh, yeah. So another uh, outside another topic outside of Maricopa I this... County. Um, yeah. I, I I had a decent amount of requests from uh, the civilian side that wanting to do or enroll into courses in T1G, which were restricted. So. Um, 2013, I just started SRT or Steve Record training to take some of the core skill sets minus any ITAR restricted stuff and provide that to the civilian populace. Um, the only thing I do differently is I keep the student to instructor ratios extremely low. I mean, six to one is about as high as I'll go. Uh, so it costs a lot more because, um, you know, we're not. I don't have one guy and another assistant running a line of twenty-five students. At that point, if you're attending a course like that, it's just pure mental masturbation. You're really not learning anything that you can't go on YouTube and watch. Um, so it's been doing well. I mean, people can go over to steverecordtraining.com and see the various offerings out there. I mean, we don't do it that often. Our schedule's not full. I mean, I've got other government programs running right now with DARPA that take up a majority of my time, but I do like to get out at least every two months and run a course across the U.S. somewhere just to stay sharp and keep connected with the client base. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show with us today. I also want to thank you for everything that you've done, uh, not only as a Marine, but uh, once you got out to continue to help provide the services that make our warriors the, the best they can be. And that's something that I take a lot of pride in with the products that we produce and stuff. Um, something that we didn't get to talk about much is that you and I have uh, a connection that goes back uh, about 15 years. Uh, you were instrumental in in working on the XM3 DARPA project. Can you give us just about a minute to sum that up and, and your connection with McMillan? Yeah, no, I mean, love to jump back on the show another time and explain that in great detail but uh yeah in 05 the program got started and uh, the direct connection with mcmillan is uh free we we needed a the a1 stock slightly modified and a few people i talked to you know, explained that it, mcmillan wouldn't do that it would cost a ton of money and i think i actually spoke to you in mid 05 or late 05 and you're like yeah well turn and burn on it and uh, give me a few weeks and no kidding like six weeks later exactly what we needed was at my doorstep and uh, everybody was baffled and you know they were all smiles in a good way so uh, you guys definitely moved very very quickly on that and 
didn't even charge mold fees. <laughs> well, when we have a project that we really believe in and want to be a part of, we can change our basic uh, rating procedures to get things done yeah. so that uh, we can supply products to the people who really need them. No, no, I mean, uh, it, was, it was great. I mean, like I said, I'd like to jump on at a later date. And there's a lot involved with that program and how they came about, where they went, and then where they are currently, so... Well, Steve, we'll definitely have you back on. Really appreciate you spending the time with us and want to thank you once again for everything you do. Yep. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks. Great having you on, Steve, and make sure you do visit us next time you're out here. Yep. Will do, my friends. Thanks. Okay. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. For over 40 years, McMillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the McMillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at McMillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacMillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacMillanUSA.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. 
Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for sticking around through the commercial break, and thanks for being with us today. Uh, really interesting guy, Steve Reichert. Really enjoyed having him on. We'll definitely have him come back to share some more of his experience with us. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to take this little bit of time to do is talk about a lo- that, that project and what Steve referred to in developing the stock for the XM3. Early in the 2000s, around 2001, 2002, I uh, kind of broke tradition of depending on the military people to give us feedback on what they wanted uh, in a tactical stock. And I went to Sniper's Hide to converse with uh, all of these forum members that fancied themselves tactical individuals. And and to be perfectly honest, a, a large percentage of them at that time were active duty law enforcement and had had military experience. So probably at the time, the very best website uh, forum available for talking with guys that really knew what they were talking about in terms of, you know, accurate shooting, bolt action guns, stuff like that. So what I did was put out a, a request for anyone who who had an idea of what they thought would make the best tactical stock to give me some feedback on what that would be. And we spent about three months going back and forth and, and communicating through the forum on what a, a tactical stock really needs to be. And as a result, I came up with the A5. Now, because they helped us so much, I spent a lot of time rewarding the guys who really contributed to the project by sending them stocks, let them test them, doing doing you know their thing and then reporting on it um, that that really created a buzz for the a5 right away and I was really excited that that the acceptance of that stock had been such right off the bat that we immediately started taking orders and selling them well almost 15 years later the a5 has become the best-selling fiberglass stock that McMillan has ever made, including the M40A1s, uh, any hunting stock that you can name. We sell, you know, about 15 A5s a day. Um, of the 1,000 stocks a month that we produce, a large percentage of them are A5 stocks. And, and I'm proud to say that because I was willing to take feedback from everybody out there that really had a stake in what the end result would come up to be um, that we came up with what has become known as the best tactical stock on the market. Now, when Steve was working with uh, Norm Chandler and uh, Iron Brigade Armory on this DARPA project, they didn't like the A5 forend. They thought it was a little wide, a little bulky. They wanted something a little more streamlined. So basically what we came up with was the A5 buttstock and the A3 4-in, so we called it the A3-5. And so that's the stock that was on the XM3, and that was the stock that Steve was referring to, um, being responsible for, for talking me into getting that project going. 
And the reason that I talk about that is because those stocks are still available today. You can go on our website. We actually have some on our online store that are available for Remington 700s with, with Sendero barrel channels, both in long and short, uh, BDL and DBM floor plates. And, and you can actually, if, if you're looking for one of those, you can buy one today, uh, which is kind of a departure for McMillan. Over the last year and a half, we've been able to develop our online store to the fact uh, that now, uh, rather than waiting for to five months to get a stock that was built from the day one to a specific order for everything that you want. If you find something on our online store that you really like that will suffice and, and you're okay not having every specific thing exactly the way you'd like to have it, then you can buy it today and you don't have to wait. So that's been real popular with a lot of our customers and we sell a lot of online stocks. We keep a huge inventory of stocks online, not only completely finished, but we also keep them to the point where we're just ready to inlet them. So you can call up, say, hey, I would like uh, this stock. I want it inletted for, say, a defiance action with uh, an M5 um, DBM uh, floor plate and a custom barrel channel. And you tell us what that barrel channel is. We can stick it into the process at that point in the process and deliver it in about six weeks. So that's been that's become very popular. So people that, yeah, six weeks I can handle, four months I'm not really sure, they can pick out a stock in whatever camouflage is available that they like, and then we'll inlet it and make it for them specifically for them. So that's been something that's really added to customer satisfaction and being able to get a McMillan stock in, in less time. And for those folks who are looking for a custom stock, uh, you put together a pretty good video on your YouTube channel. I think it's also on, on your website on the front page on how to order a custom stock and you really dive into the 65 permutations of how to do so. Um, and I think that's gotten hit about 15,000 times. So. Yeah. And, you know, I want to comment. Zev was the guy who uh, <laughs> videoed that and edited it. So uh, I got to give the, the guy credit. He's, he's done a good job with the, the video as well. Um, now that we've talked about a McMillan a little bit, and, and I know you guys, when you, when you tune in, uh, you're fans of McMillan, I hope. And if you don't know that much about us, you can go to our website at McMillan USA uh, and learn more about us. Um, but, but now let's get to our next guest. The, our next guest is, is a really interesting guy. His background is really diverse. Um, Ian Harrison, who today is the uh, editor of Recoil Magazine and uh, several other magazines, and I'll let him get into that a little bit more. But first, Ian, I'd like to have you come on and, and give a little bit of your history and your background, and I think some of that will become evident as, as soon as you start telling us about it. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, well, yeah, I'm uh, one of those guys who managed to force dump his way into the best job in the world. And uh, my background, I think, up with my accent and moved around these parts. Um, but um, after the British government confiscated my legally held handgun back in 1998, I decided to make the trip across the pond and uh, become a US citizen. So. It's worked out surprisingly well for me, and, uh, and in some respects, yeah, you know, I, I thank the British government for incomplete, well, filling the blank and uh, and confiscating my guns. Because if I hadn't uh, had that experience, then I'd be here. Well, Ian uh, Zev here, and and welcome to the show as well. And 
for those of us, which I think uh, our last demographic counted 95% of our listeners watch Vikings, uh, Ian comes from that area <laughs> we know as Northumbria and King Ayla's uh, uh, domain. But now that you're an American citizen and you've been on Top Shot and you've been in several roles in the firearms community, can you tell us a little bit about how you progressed to where you are today? Uh, sure, I'll be delighted to Before I left the UK, I uh, was uh, serving as a British infantry officer. And then um, when I came to the U.S., I worked in the construction industry for about 10 years. And then uh, one day, somebody sent out a, uh, a call for us casting to go on this goofy reality TV show, which uh, subsequently turned into Top Shot. And uh, a video through an application, and 15 minutes later, the, the phone rang. And they said, why don't you come down to L.A. and try out for this thing? So me and about 50 other people showed up and did a three-day um, selection course, which involved uh, psych testing and mastership testing and then a star chamber interview uh, with a bunch of guys. And then of the 50 or so that were down there, 16 of us got selected. And uh, I ended up on TV. Uh, much to my complete surprise, uh, I ended up winning the first season of Top Shot, and uh, that was all she wrote. So obviously, you had some um, rifleman skills. Uh, I'm assuming that you learned that uh, in your days in the the military in Britain. Uh, yeah, I made a lot of ammunition um, and uh, and turned alive into brass. Shooting uh, Ipswich uh, in the UK, uh, as well as rifle matches there, and uh, as a result, I kind of had a had a leg up before I actually threw a uniform on. Um, hey. And uh, that competitive marksmanship and competitive um, advantage it kind of lasted throughout, and uh, maintained it throughout. I ended up shooting for my, my battalion as well. Uh, Ian, I'm I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Uh, you seem to be fading in and out a lot. I don't know if you're sitting still, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to hang on for a second. Um, we're going to go to a short break now. Um, listeners, stay with us. We'll try to get this issue straightened out, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. 
Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacMillanUSA.com. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it with 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hey, Zev here. Uh, Ian just hopped in his car, and he's going to get to a spot where he's got better reception. Until then, I happen to know Ian very well. I count him as a friend, and he's probably the reason uh, I've been using the word mate as friend for the past three years. Uh, He calls me matey all the time, and that's where that came from. But uh, after Top Shot, if you didn't hear uh, what he said, um, I'm pretty sure that I could let you know that he went to work for Crimson Trace for a while. And uh, after that, uh, I don't know if any of you remember when Recoil just started out, I think it was their fifth or sixth issue when they uh, made a statement about a particular uh, sub gun that came out. And I believe it was an FN, and Ian will come and verify that. And I believe the editor at the time said something to the effect that this is not a civilian's gun. And uh, that pretty much made them a pariah until uh, Ian came into the picture and turned it around. And uh, before he gets on, because he'll get all red in the face if if he's on when I say this, but I was in California about three weeks ago at a funeral, and uh, another attendee there worked for the Entertainment Network, which is what Recoil Magazine is part of. And we started talking, and I told him that I knew Ian. And uh, what he said was uh, pretty much what I had already, already thought, And that is that that recoil magazine line, including uh, their concealment line and their off-the-grid line, uh, have become really very, very good uh, for the company, for the entertainment network. And Ian has really built it into something very positive. So I hope I didn't steal all his thunder about where he's gone with his life and his career. Uh, But hopefully when he's back on, our engineer will let us know and we can continue. Well, in this day and age when print media is... uh really struggling to to get readership and almost every major magazine that has been around the firearms industry uh, and the shooting sports for the last 15 years uh, subscriptions have really plummeted because of online subscriptions Um, recoil does a good job of presenting things in a different way than than the gun guys are used to seeing them and that's one thing i think that that attracts people to recoil is that it's not the same old stuff written in the same old way you know presented in the same old um, fashion and they've got a number of different uh, uh writers there that each have a different style and um it's always interesting i i, I never pick up print lately but when i do pick up a recoil i literally stay with it for the next three hours it's just a great mag yeah, I really like it, too. And uh, as soon as we get Ian back on here, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about, and I'm going to try at some point down the road, uh, have the company that represents me for advertising and marketing, uh, Direct Media, to to come on and to talk about that. Because I know there are a lot of people out there listening that, that are either gunsmiths or gun builders or in the firearms industry to some extent. And they may be too, you know, too small to feel like they really need to advertise and they think Facebook is going to do what they, they need to do. So I'd really like to give people the perspective of 
what it really takes to be able to go from a, a mom and pop and, and son industry, the cottage industry, you know, business like we were, and literally our business started on the dining room table with my dad making fiberglass stocks without any gloves. So uh, there's a funny story we tell. Uh, as soon as as the phone would ring, my dad would pick it up. He always thought that the next guy on the phone was going to be a guy who, who wanted to order a stock, so he couldn't let it ring. So it didn't matter how much epoxy he had all over his hands or his gloves, he would answer the phone. And it wasn't too long before the, the and it was the old-fashioned phone that, that hung on the the cradle before too long the the handle of the phone got so big that he couldn't get it back on the phone to hang it up so we had to get a new phone so i think it's a funny story about how my dad was compulsive about answering the telephone well okay we've got ian back now so ian can you hear me yes sir oh that sounds much better i'm glad to have you back uh zev took the the license to go ahead and kind of explain a little bit about what you were talking about in the the part of your your time on here that, that we couldn't understand you. Um, so we've got to the part where you, you were at Crimson Trace and then um, Recoil Magazine, the, that position somehow became uh, available and um, it was something that was really unexpected for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was supposed to go and uh, make a PR visit to the guys over at, um, at Recoil Magazine, which is, yeah, it was then in its uh, fourth issue. And um, unfortunately, the, uh, the the editor uh, who was in place at the time said something unfortunate about civilian ownership of MP7s, and consequently, he got um, it was an interesting objective lesson as to how to ruin a brand over a weekend. Uh, and as you know, no doubt aware, the uh, the Second Amendment community is very vociferous and very passionate about what we do. And uh, unfortunately, that pretty much spelt the the end of uh, his tenure as editor. So I was uh, going down for a meeting with those guys and just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And they said, oh, by the way, we're looking for a new editor-in-chief. And I thought, you know what? I could do that. And uh, little did I know how little I knew at the time, but uh, I threw myself into it and ended up with the best job in the world. So... um to me, and I may be dead wrong, but to be an editor of a magazine or several magazines, creativity has to be a huge part of of you. Did you recognize that, that you were creative and had always been creative, or was that something that you developed as the position grew on you? Um, I think what happened, Kelly, was that, well, first of all, um, in, the, in the sort of creativity department, I'm blessed with having a fantastically talented team, um, and particularly my art director, uh, Gene Koo, uh, whose name is on the masthead of every issue, and he's also the guy who is responsible for making the magazine look and feel the way it does. And uh, to a great extent, I, I rely on him because he, he is one of the most talented guys that I've ever met and certainly the most talented guy in the industry when it comes to making magazines look, look fantastic. So um, the the only thing that I can offer is um, my perspective as to what I think is, is cool and what other things, other people hopefully will be of the same mindset. So the main filter that we use in order to assess what is going to go into the magazine that particular issue is is it a good story and will the readers think it's, it's a cool story 
Um, and we have a, we're blessed with a, with a business model in that we're not beholden to our advertisers. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I love you know, guys in the industry and I love having advertisers on board, but um, we never lose sight of the fact that the guy who's actually paying nine bucks of his own money every issue is our real customer. So consequently, we're writing for him uh, and that guy there rather than, you know, just regurgitating press releases, should we say. And I can attest to that, uh, reading several of your issues, actually every one, um, there have been times that I've seen advertisers and, and I've seen your, uh, your, your story not necessarily uh, make them look as great as they'd like to be looked at. And I think you're always looking to see whether the juice is worth, is worth the squeeze, so to say. And, uh, you know, th there's one thing I know about, Ian, that I'm going to share. I know you kind of have that snake eater uh, door knocking uh, uh, reputation. I might I might uh, lessen that for you right now. But you know, Ian is a great cook, and I've been to his place uh, for a meeting, and uh, he's had some good classical music going on in the background while he's been writing a story or, or answering his his mail. So I think the creativity is there, Ian, and uh, and we're glad that you're part of that team and and make the magazine as good as it is. Well, thanks. I I'd, I'd also like to say that there are. A huge number of very talented CEOs out there who surrounded themselves with good people but weren't successful because they didn't have whatever it was that individual company needed. Um, you can't convince me that that this magazine and Recoil and all the magazines that you're in charge of would be as good as they are without you at the helm. Um, CEOs, whether they take the liberty to have input on every single thing that happens in the magazine, are responsible for the magazine when it goes out. You take the heat, and I know how important that is to you to put out a good product. So I, I think you've got to take more credit than, than you gave yourself in, in that um, last statement. <laughs> no, I, I'm seriously. I'm. I, I've been very fortunate, and uh, like I say, I've I've managed to blunder my way through um, a whole bunch of uh, things to get where I am right now, and none of it's been particularly particularly well thought out. But uh, fortunately, there's a lot of people out there who, um, you know, the stuff that I do appeals to, and I've just been blessed with well, say, a great team and and great readers as well, because without not their support and uh, being able to give them what, what they want, um, then I certainly, we wouldn't be in the, in the position that we're in. And I think that goes for a, a lot of successful companies, Macmillan included. I mean, you guys are legendary about giving people what they want, whether or not they actually realize what it is what they want. But, um, um, you know, and as a result, there's a lot of people out there now uh, have seen that and are trying to copy what you're doing. And I think it may have something to do with cooking because I know Kelly's a great cook as well. Uh, Ian, <laughs> you've also uh, launched you've launched Recoil Web and and you've launched uh, Recoil TV, which I am fascinated with. I just love what you do there. Um, all different types of firearm based uh, solutions that that you offer to folks. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Recoil TV, how that's going, and and what's next. Um, yeah, uh, so we've launched a big video component of our website, and um, we've been putting a lot of original content both on the website in print and in um, you know, and also in video. 
And that yeah, it just kind of reflects where the market's going. I mean, I don't think print will ever die because there's something about just holding onto a magazine and being able to leaf through pages because you have that tactile and visual sense to it. Um, but by the same token, it's no, um, it should be no surprise to anybody that print has not yet finished its downward trajectory. And you see people, uh, other, other publications in the industry that um, are still on that downward spiral. We're not. I mean, our print sales are very, very strong. Um, and again, it's, it's a result of our, our great readers. Um, but there is a big shift as to how we all, as consumers, consume our media. So to address that, we'd say we're putting a lot more content online and uh, and a lot more video content because I think unless you do have that second and third strength of the bow, then you're losing out. You're going to lose a lot of readers. You're not going to get your message across. And um, people are going to ultimately be disappointed in, in you as to what you can bring. So we're trying to do that. We're also looking at apps um, because we all know how annoying it is now looking at websites on, on new mobile devices where you have all these pop-up ads come up and um, all these clickbait sites that are populated um, on everybody's their website. So we're looking at delivering content without that. And then um, there's also the titles that we're exploring at the moment. For example, we are going to launch uh, Recoil Hunting in, in July and we're going to hopefully shake up that cozy little world as, in the same way that we did in the Black Rifle scene. I have to admit that I, I've heard about that, and I think that that fits right into what we do, too, as well. And I'm I'm really excited about that. Uh, I want to thank you for being here, Ian. Uh, I'm sorry we had some of the problems that we had, and we didn't get really enough time to spend with you. I, I'm, I'm going to invite you back, and we're going to be able to spend more time. I do want you to know, if you look at your prospective advertisers list, you'll see that uh, Macmillan Fiberglass Stocks has a couple insertion orders uh, in Recoil Magazine, <laughs> and I will tell you that that was not my choice. I'm not saying that I, it, it's, that I wouldn't have chosen that, but that was a, a part of my advertising budget that was put together by Media Direct for me, and when I saw it on there, I said, oh, that's great. Ian's going to like that, so, and, and that was, and I found that out just, well, you know, book, a yeah. month or so ago, so I, I'm, I'm happy that, that we'd be able to advertise in your magazine. I know it's going to do well for us, and, and the people who have, uh, have been appreciating your magazine will get to see a new advertiser. Awesome. Welcome aboard. Good. To have you. Thanks. Well, thanks again, Ian. I appreciate you being here, and uh, good luck with uh, the new hunting and, and everything else you're doing. Cheers, Kevin. Likewise. Cheers. Thanks, have a good weekend, mate. And thanks for all of you listeners being patient with that. I know that's frustrating for you to to really be engaged in what somebody's saying, and then all of a sudden you can only pick up about every third syllable, and uh, we regret that. Unfortunately, with uh, cell phones, and Ian was at his ranch where he doesn't actually even have a hard line. Um, so uh, we thank you for being here. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next week. This is Kelly McMillan with Taking Stock. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.